We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know what time it is now, Ryan. It is it is mailbag time, and we're going to kick yeah. things off. We have JP Buelsfeld, our guy, says uh, with a super with a super chat. Thank you, JP, very very much. He says Cotton Bowl versus Group of Six opponent or bust. Well, I mean, obviously it's or bust is not an option because there's plenty of other big games. I mean, you have to ask mm-hmm. yourself, you know, do you do are you better off playing Tulane, for example, in the Cotton Bowl and winning? And or are you better off going to the Gator Bowl and playing an SEC opponent winning? In most years, I would say play the SEC opponent because it's a better opportunity for you. But in this particular year, Ryan, mm-hmm. I think number I think you've you've you if you're in there, if see here's the thing, if you're in the Cotton Bowl, we're mm-hmm. assuming they beat USC. Mm-hmm. You can't get there without beating USC. Sure. And so you're talking about a nine and three team that's now borderline top 10, if not in the top 10, some other things have happened to shake up the rankings. You've got a chance to go out in Marcus Freeman's first year, win seven straight games, get the new year six thing. No one's talking about. They haven't won a new year six bowl since January of 1994. Nobody's talking about the fact that the last quarterback to win a new year six bowl was Kevin flipping McDougal, who was a dude, but I can't believe that's the last quarterback to win a new year six bowl. They beat Texas A&M in the cotton bowl after the 93 season, you know, so you're not talking about that anymore. Uh, that's gone, and Marcus Freeman got a big win in Texas in front of the kids that, you know, meaning they're going to be watching on TV. Some will be there, uh, a state that you're trying to recruit in a big, big way. Yep. So in, in most years, I'd say I'd rather go to the Gator Bowl and play Florida or LSU or somebody like that. But in this particular year, I, I think it's a win-win either way. Because uh, mm-hmm. I would say in, the, in most years, Ryan, like beating Tulane in the Cotton Bowl doesn't move the needle for you. Uh, because it's like, well, it's Tulane. You should have beat them. Well, in most years, that's true. But I think in this year, it's about the perception and the momentum. Because you will already ha- – no one can say, well, you didn't beat anybody. Well, yeah, well, we to get here, we beat Clemson. We beat USC. We beat North Carolina to get here. You know, So, yeah, we beat plenty of people. And now we just got a New Year's Six Bowl game under our belt. You go into the offseason with tons of momentum on the recruiting trail and, more importantly, with your program. Well, Brian, my, my only devil's advocate thing – 
because I agree with you. I, I do think it's a win-win situation. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all one perfect answer to this. But I think perception-wise, if Notre Dame went to the Gator Bowl and beat an LSU, sure. right, like that would obviously be a massive story, right? Mm-hmm. The head-to-head matchup, you know, oh, Brian Kelly's done such a great job in year one, and you kind of you know shut that down a little bit, and you end the drought that you just talked about since 1993 against the former coach. I mean – some people overplay headlines, I think, a lot, but that headline matters, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that that would 100% matter. So I think there's, I think there's merit to both sides of the coin. If it ends up being a Cotton Bowl opportunity against a Tulane, for instance, I, I, I would accept that and I would be happy about that because, like you said, Notre Dame in the state of Texas is something that needs to keep improving yeah. because we have seen them tap into that talent pool extremely well in 2023 and that needs to continue into 2024 and beyond so i don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it just you know the other side is enticing as well i think that's why i don't i don't i don't take that as a devil's advocate argument Mm -hmm. because my thing is is i'm not saying i don't want to go to a gator bowl and beat florida right i mean that's a a win for you Right. What I'm saying is in most years, that's the only option that I'd care about because gotcha. I see gotcha. no value going. And I've always said, I don't see no value going to a cotton bowl. This is under Brian Kelly. And if you, if the same scenario happens in three years, I'll say the same thing then that I would have said when Kelly was the coach, which is mm-hmm. you get nothing out of that. You don't move the needle. You haven't proven you can beat a big time team. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. streak ends. That's great. You get that talking point done, but you haven't moved the program forward anymore because you beat Tulane or you beat like, like remember when Arkansas went to the, uh, was it Arkansas went to the Sugar Bowl that one year and got a win? Well, who'd they beat? Hawaii. You know, it's <laughs> like, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Like it took some of the some of the shine off of what, you know, winning the Sugar Bowl, right? Right. So there's no doubt that going to the to the to the other to the because like again, it's like we say, well, look, Tulane's a better team than Florida. They are, mm-hmm. but recruits don't care about that. The reason it's unique to this particular year is just because of what a seven-game winning streak, getting that one talking point gone, because you have earned the big wins. Like here's, I'll say this: beating Florida, who's going to have four losses, let's say, or Mm -hmm. you know, beating Mississippi State, Mm -hmm. or beating a team like an Ole Miss, a team like that in the Orange Bowl. I don't know how much that moves the needle. So we have Florida team stinks. It's kind of like when Notre Dame beat LSU. Like a lot of what do LSU fans say about the 2014 win? Well, that team wasn't any good anyway. Right? Okay. Whereas you're not going to get a lot of love for that win anyway, at least at the very least in this particular year, because is that win going to mean more to, to recruits than beating USC or beating Clemson? Right. No, and that's the uniqueness about this year. It's the combination of it being Freeman's first year, so just getting a W and a big bowl is is what matters. It's playing in Texas, which mm-hmm. I think is important. Any year where you've gone out and tried to prioritize the state of Texas, where you're telling Texas kids, hey, we're in the Cotton Bowl. Where are the Longhorns? No, oh, they're in the Cheez-It Bowl? Okay, cool. This is where you want to be, right? I mean, that's that's the reality of it. You know, so so that's why I'd say, but if if the option is the Gator, if the Gator Bowl is where they go, and mm-hmm. just as a, an example, and they play Florida and they beat them, sure, that's a that moves the needle, right? Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. I think a Cotton Bowl win this year moves the needle, not because of Tulane, but because of the Cotton Bowl, because of being in Texas, because of who else you beat. Sure, I think that would be, and then it also ensures that they're going to be a top ten team at the end of the year. So they're going to be huge. Because yep. what you don't want to do, Ryan, is get into one of those games and Michael Mayer opts out and Brandon Joseph opts out and Jarrett Patterson opts out. And all of a sudden you're playing Florida who doesn't have a bunch of dudes going to the pros 
and you get beat. Right. Or you're playing Ole Miss without who hasn't done a bunch of dudes going to the pros, or these guys they can afford to lose, and you get beat because mm-hmm. no one's going to buy the well. We didn't have Michael Mayer and Jarrett Patterson and those kind of arguments. Well, you lost to you lost to Ole Miss, you lost to Florida. With all due respect to Tulane, and I do mean that, if those guys don't play against Tulane, Notre Dame should still be should still be able to beat Tulane. That's just sure. you know my thing too. So so that's kind of where I'm coming from. But there's not a bad option there in my opinion as long as you win we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Quinn Kibler with a mailbag question. Who was better against Notre Dame or Navy on Navy? Teach in 2010 or Reynolds in 2013? Uh, was it 2010 that Teach had the big game against Notre Dame? I thought I thought in 2010, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm They beat, yes, I keep forgetting the Teach game where he ripped up Notre Dame was 2010. Because mm. Navy beat them. It was, it was in the Meadowlands. They beat Notre Dame in 09 at home. Notre Dame was at home when they beat him in 09. It was that game they won by like two where I think that was the game where Jimmy Clausen threw a pass off the back of Michael Floyd. Mm. They got intercepted. I think that it was either against UConn or Navy. So, yes, it was 2010. Uh, Quinn is correct on that one. So that is the year that that Alexander Teach ripped Notre Dame up. How many, yard, how many yards did he have he in that game? He went for 210 in that game. That's insane. Yeah, That's on 26 insane. yards. Yeah, That's insane for a dive back. It, it is really nuts. It is really nuts. Uh, Keenan Reynolds in 2013 against Notre Dame had only 53 yards rushing. So, um, you know, he had six, he went six of nine for 88 yards in the touchdown. Notre Dame won that game. So I'm going with, uh, I'm going with teach for sure. Uh, Keenan Reynolds never really, never really ripped Notre Dame up. The only game he really had a lot of production was in 2015. He rushed for 110 yards. But if you remember correctly, Ryan, a decent amount of that came late after Notre Dame had already kind of – I mean, Notre Dame was blowing them out, and mm-hmm. Navy got a score late. Uh, I'd say – I mean, Teach in 2000 – I mean, 26 carries for 210 yards is really, really good. It, it's 
it's also demoralizing yes. to have a to have a dive back doing that type of stuff. Like again, we talked about Keenan Reynolds. Keenan Reynolds is one of the best to ever do it as an option quarterback, right? So like if he makes some plays, you're kind of like, okay, I mean, the dude's a wizard, right? Alexander Teach just getting downhill and running you over and running for 200 plus yards, mm-hmm. man. Like ripping off big demoralizing, runs. Man, like two or three huge runs in that game. What's funny is he never he never scored. Wow, <laughs> uh, in that game, he didn't have any, he didn't have any receiving t- or uh, rushing touchdowns. And then the year before, it wasn't Teach. It was Vince Murray that ripped him up the year before. Vince Murray went for 14 carries for 158 yards in that game. Yeah. So, yeah, Teach had his big game against Notre Dame uh, the next year. Now, he must have loved playing Notre Dame because the year before in 09 – so I told you Vince Murray had 14 carries for 158 yards, but Teach had five carries for 52 yards, which means you're starting fullbacks for two years in a row went over 200 yards against Notre Dame. It's abysmal. That's bananas. It's man. sad to think about how far Navy has fallen since then. Yeah. But it's also kind of like how much better Notre Dame is now. Right. Cause after 2010, I was like, you know, when Notre Dame started taking that series back, I think it was like 2013. Was that the year they really smashed Navy? It was 2011. They really smashed them. Like just really blew them out. And then, yeah, they had a couple get close games. You know, they blew them out again in 2012. 2013 was kind of mm-hmm. competitive. You know, Notre Dame played him again and, and beat him by 10 in 2014. But if you remember, it wasn't that close. Notre Dame was up big at halftime, and then they had a couple plays to kind of claw back, and then they, Notre Dame pulled back ahead. 2015, they beat him pretty convincingly. And then 2016 happened, and you're like, come on, man. Like, seriously, you're, you're going to lose to Navy again. But uh, And then 2017, they played a close game that Notre Dame, you know, really controlled. They blew him out in 18. Uh, blew them out in 19 and they, that was a good navy team in 19 that was a team that was finished the year it was one of do you know that twice in brian kelly's tenure the only ranked team he beat for an entire season was navy that happened twice 15 and 19 where the only win he had over a team that finished the year ranked in the top 25 was navy which says hey good for navy but it also speaks volumes to about the quality of brian kelly's victories mm-hmm Next question here from Alan English. I'll be very disappointed if we rush for 200 yards and win 28 to 10 or something. We need to throw the ball to people that don't have number 87 on their jersey, preferably downfield. I still want to see Michael Mayer getting the football. Like, I get where people are coming from there, but that's still your best player. Yes. You know, maybe just let's get him the ball in some different ways. But I I don't want to overreact to him being a guy that Drew Pine locks in on by then saying, well, I don't want to see him get the ball. Like, when people are saying, like, don't let him practice. And it's like, okay. I get where you're coming from, but that ain't the answer. Right? I, I, th- I think it's more of like the analytics people like talking about market share, right, Brian? It's sure. like the percentage of passes that go his way. I can buy into that, right? Like I want a less of a percentage maybe going to Michael Mayer this week because I want other sure. guys to get more opportunities. Sure. Like I, I can adopt that that ideology for sure. Yep. Salty Virginia Peanuts asks, uh, I still want to know more about Tayshon Lyons. They went from dope to nope in a minute. IB hit me <laughs> with some knowledge. Well, you're on the message board, so we've talked a little bit about it, but I just feel mm-hmm. like, you know, the more that they got to know him, the more they got to know other players, as so much as they like Tayshon, I just feel like they just felt there were better fits for them, mm-hmm. not just personality-wise, but also schematically. And, and Ryan, here's what I mean. And and yeah. Ryan and I agree on one thing. Mm-hmm. If we're doing a top 200 list, we would have mm-hmm. Tayshon Lyons ranked higher than Caleb Smith. We mm-hmm. both agree on that. Mm-hmm. Where I don't know if we agree here, Ryan, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, mm-hmm. I actually think if I'm talking about building a roster, I'd rather have Caleb Smith. 
even though I think Tayshawn's the better player because, again, Tayshawn doesn't necessarily bring something to the class to the degree. Like, I think Tayshawn compliments the other guys. We've talked about that on this show. He does compliment the other guys. He brings things to the table. He doesn't bring as much to the table as Caleb Smith does in a complimentary fashion to the other players in that I think he brings a little bit more of the verticalness than I, than, than Rico and Jaden Greathouse bring. He brings route running precision that, that, that Rico has that nobody else has. But what Tayshawn is not is a guy you're going to throw in the slot and run jet sweeps to all day and, and run slants to all day and run bubble screens to, and now screens to as effectively as you would do with Caleb Smith. I don't so that. When you talk about just the the nature of how you're putting this group together, and then let's say something happens injury wise where you've got to use Dylan Edwards more as a running back, you've now lost that ability as a receiver that he brings to that group as well. So you give me two different type of guys in this class that can be after the catch, and this guy brings a little bit more downfieldness than what Dylan Edwards brings. I just feel like you put that five man class together, it fits much even better together than Tayshawn Lines. And that doesn't mean that Tayshawn didn't fit and, and wasn't a good compliment as well because that would make us hypocrites and liars because we had made that case that he was a good fit and mm-hmm. a compliment in the past. So it's not that Tayshawn wasn't. It's just, I think Caleb is even better. And the final piece for me is if I can get a kid from Texas or a kid from California and all things are equal, taking the kid from Texas, especially a kid right outside of Dallas. Like I'm, that's just I, – I think you have to capitalize as much as you can on ta- Texas right now before Texas gets really good and it's harder because now it's e- it's mm-hmm. going to be easier when you've got all these Texas kids that were really, really good football players. I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I really don't. I think that when you talk about the ability to play in the slot and to complement everything alignment-wise and then the perspective of how they win as football players, I can buy into that. Like I can buy into Caleb Smith like with – Jane Greathouse, Braylon James being predominantly outside guys, Rico kind of being a flex guy that can play that plays mostly outside, but maybe can do a little bit of stuff in the slot. I think that Caleb Smith is a really good fit. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, there's a conversation piece between talents associated with fits. And so I think that there's just there's a couple of different ways that you can tackle it. But ultimately, if Caleb Smith is the fifth receiver in this class for Notre Dame you're in a good spot, man. Like that's mm-hmm. a real, that's a good football player. I don't want this to discount Caleb Smith. Right. So to that logic, Brian, to your argument about the fit wise, how these guys all mesh together and align together. I accept it. I accept it completely. Yeah. Next question we have here is from Coleman Smith. Can y'all get some insight into what's going on with Lorenzo styles? Is there something more than just poor play? He seems totally not there. There's not a lot we're going to get into right now. We'll have a lot to say about this down the road. But there's one thing that's clear that I think is not giving away trade secrets, and that is his head has not been right all year. We'll talk as to why after the season, but he has not been locked in all year, Ryan. And it's not just the drops. The drops are the most Mm -hmm. obvious reason. But you and I have been talking about this since game one and two. Mm -hmm. Lazy routes when he knows he's not getting the ball. Half you-know-what effort in, in situations not getting the ball blocking not well, uh, just not engaged in a lot of ways. And then, of course, the drops. You say, well, mm-hmm. they need to do more to get him involved. Well, they tried against Cal, and he drops a third. I mean, he drops a third and four pass where if he catches that and accelerates, he might go for 20. You know, yeah. like you, you tried to get him a deep ball against Ohio State, and once again, he was unwilling to lay out for the ball. He wasn't willing to give maximum effort on the ball. Mm-hmm. And so he just has not been that guy 
really since the first play of the game, he had just not been that guy. And I don't know what I don't I don't know what it is completely. I've heard some things. We'll get into it after the season. But the fact is, this kid has not been engaged and not been locked and hasn't looked anything like the kid that we saw last year, mentally, physically, in any for production wise in any way. And you can't just blame it on the ball's not coming to him because he's been that way from day one. Mm-hmm. And they did try to get him the ball in the opener. They did, did try to get him the ball in week two and week three. And he just he wasn't he wasn't making plays. Yep. I mean, you said it perfectly, but it's just for whatever reason, he hasn't been locked in, doesn't look like his heart's in it, and he hasn't been up for the challenge of kind of getting the ship righted. I mean, that's just that's where we are right now. It, it stinks because I still believe in the talent that Lorenzo has, and you, everybody knows in the preseason, I mean, I was pounding the oh, table yeah. for how good that he could be, and unfortunately, some factors have prevented him from being that player. I hope he resolves those things down the line and becomes the player that I think he still can be, but it's been very disappointing to see the effort and the consistency level that he's brought to the game this year. It just hasn't been good. It has not been good. Let's go to the next question from Mark Applegate. Mark's kind of not really asking a question. This is more of a, of a vent that mm-hmm. I think Mark is making that I want to address. Mark says, I'm tired of hearing people say the Notre Dame is a bad team. We are a good team that lost to bad teams. I think beating Clemson and Syracuse the way we did proves that we, they, we aren't that bad of a team. So you're you're actually still seeing that you're seeing people really kind of clown on Clemson a little bit because like how could you lose to Notre Dame even Scott Satterfield and I want to be like bro you lost to Boston College you need to shut your pie hole because you were about to be fired three weeks ago okay so you need to chill out a little bit on your throwing shade at Notre Dame he's like this is the same team that lost to Marshall and Stanford okay well you're the same coach that lost to Boston College you're also the same coach who's zero and two against Notre Dame so you need to shut it. But the point is, is that that those losses have are why people still don't respect Notre Dame. And instead of having the proper view of, well, Notre Dame's finally playing like we thought they were capable of, it's, oh, well, Clemson lost to an offer a good team. That's that's what happens when you're Notre Dame and you lose the games that they lost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's just the wrap. But all you can do is go out and keep winning. Yep. You know, but no, anyone that said they're a bad football team, no, they played bad against Marshall and they played bad against Stanford. But anyone that watched them rip up I me, mean, first of all, anyone that watched them go toe-to-toe with Ohio State, and Notre Dame didn't even play that good that game. But they were just athletic enough to make plays and keep that game down. And I think that people didn't understand then just how good the secondary is because you remember who the best corner was in that game, Ryan? Against Ohio State? Yeah. Rick Bracey? Nope. Benjamin Morrison. Oh, mm. go back and watch the game. Mm. Look at the pass breakups he had. He was very good in that game. Uh, Tariq was very good in the slot, but their best player got knocked out. So you go back and look at Benjamin Morrison. He almost had a pick that game. It was very good that game. I think people miss it, but the fact that you and I don't agree is exactly what I'm talking about. That was the game where we saw the secondary show what it's capable of. Brandon Joseph played great that game. I thought the mm-hmm. safeties played good that game. Other than Cam Hart, secondary play, and, and, the, and, and Jade Mickey, secondary, like two plays, secondary played very well that game. They did. And it was kind of the breakout of, you know what, maybe they're not that bad. And then over <laughs> the weeks, you're like, maybe they're actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But that team, the team that ripped up North Carolina, the team that ripped up Clemson, the team that ripped up Cle- Syracuse, that's who Notre Dame can be. But you're only as good as your record. And their record shows they have an L to Stanford at home and an L to Marshall. Yep. And so, you know, that's kind of why people can say that. But no, Notre Dame's not a bad team. They had, in my opinion, two bad days. Two really mm-hmm. bad days. Okay. And hopefully 
this game is going to be evidence of, or not, well, it's going to be evidence of one of two things, right? Either one, they're still the same team. It's mm-hmm. just now they're not playing someone that gets their emotion going and their focus going. And they're going to slog their way through Navy and win 24 to 21 in an ugly game against a team that lost to Delaware. Or they're going to say, we're not that team anymore. Mm-hmm. We have now taken that step and turned that corner. We're going to rip Navy up. We're going to beat BC up. And USC, you know, better hope they enjoyed Thanksgiving because their weekend after Thanksgiving is not going to go well for them. Like, that's what we're going to – we're going to start to learn that this weekend, Ryan. I mean, don't you agree? Yeah. Like, if they slog their way through an ugly 24-21 to 21 game over Navy, you're like, nah, they're still kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Madly inconsistent and volatile. Like, those would be the two words that just come out. How could you look that good against Clemson the week prior and then slug your way through Navy and just not look like a good football team? It's just – that's it is a big week because I said before, you know, we've seen this in the past sometimes where you kind of take these teams lightly and you don't play your best football. But then to the course of this year, I mean, we're talking about a team that just dominated Clemson, but also lost to Marshall. <laughs> this team, mm-hmm. like, talk about maddeningly inconsistent. Right. And what's the growth level of this team? Like, this is a big, I think, heat check on what where where your program is right now. Right. I want to address this here real quick, Ryan, before we get to a couple uh-huh. of super chats. We have this comment from Mr. 2.0. Said thoughts on Keon Keeley hanging out with the guys in a Notre Dame shirt at the Troy Reader commitment. Not not getting my hopes up, but it seems Notre Dame might be back in the game. So let, let me just tell you all something, okay? <laughs> this was an example of a kid supporting his friend. Yes. That's what this was. Now, is is Keon somewhat re-engaging with Notre Dame commits? Right. This is not something where I want y'all to get your hopes up. Would Notre Dame love to have Keon? Yes, they would. Uh, has Notre Dame reached out to him in times to let him know that? Yes, they have. Do they also know that the odds of that happening are slim to none? Yes, they do. Uh, the reality is, is I don't think Keon comes back to Notre Dame. The readers and Keon are very good friends. He was very good friends with Trey, who's now a freshman linebacker at Notre Dame, and he's very good friends with Troy. And he's very close to that family, and that was Keon supporting his friend, who signed with Notre Dame baseball. Just like the three kids in front of Keon that nobody in, in here can identify as who they are, aren't coming to play football at Notre Dame either. They had Notre Dame shirts on as well. They were mm-hmm. there supporting a friend and, yeah. uh, and and a family friend. So, like, this isn't just a teammate. This is a guy that Keon has spent a lot of time with. They're very good friends. Uh, so, I would love it. I mean, I would take Keon back in a heartbeat. I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about just like – I mean, but I'll say this. If they could get Aaron Lynch back, they can get Keon back. I just don't see it happening. I, I don't. I just don't see it happening. Uh, would I love it? Yes. Should every Notre Dame fan embrace him with open arms? Heck yes. yes. Uh, would the Notre Dame coaching staff take him back with 100% certainty? Yes. And if he doesn't know that, then I hope he still listens to our channel like he used to. Then, yes, they would. And that's not a guess. That's not an opinion. That's a <laughs> fact. That's a fact. All right. So let's get to the next one. But I did want to address that because we had a couple people kind of bring that up and on the board and super, you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I even tweeted at Keon. I was like, man, why are you getting people's hopes up? <laughs> I DM'd him and sent him that. Cause he's Keon's a really good kid. He really is. I like Keon as a young man. Am I disappointed with the decision he made and all that? Sure. I am. Uh, do I have concerns about whether or not he's making ultimately the best? Cause look, I've been there. I've made decisions that I thought were the best for me as an 18 year old that turned out to be dumb decisions. For me, I'm not saying Keon did his dumb. I'm saying me. And that's why I transferred after my freshman year of college football, even though I started. It's just you make dumb decisions. Uh, I'm not saying Keon is dumb. I just don't think it's the best decision for him. I think Keon at Notre Dame is the perfect fit, the perfect fit on the field, off the field, all of it. He doesn't agree. 
Uh, I wish he did because honestly, he is a Notre Dame kid. He really is. He's just had some people in his sphere that have kind of convinced him otherwise. Yep. But he really is, and he's a good kid. And I, I, I hope Notre Dame fans treat him with respect because him not wanting to come Notre Dame doesn't mean he's a bad kid or doesn't deserve people's respect. He's a good young man, and and I mm-hmm. do wish him all the best. I just wish it was with a golden helmet on. That's really it. Tyler Reese with the super chat. I would love to see Kali and Junior get reps this Saturday. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, especially Prince Kali. Like he would be my backside linebacker. Like I would have if you were going to ask me what my alignment would be, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the 4-4 approach uh, alignment-wise, not necessarily 4-4 personnel, but I think with like Marist and Kaiser, I think it could actually mm-hmm. work this week. My alignment would be Kaiser's a rover because he can run with wheel routes and things like that with the slot backs. There's no doubt. I'd have mm-hmm. Marist as my weak side edge, crashing mm-hmm. the heck out of the edge. I'd have Kaiser as my rover. I'd have Prince Collie and J.D. Bertrand playing inside. That's what I would do. And I'd have Love whoever's it. at safety just run in the alleys. I'd have one safety in the game running the alleys. That's what I would do. With with Brandon Joseph out this game, I would love to see Xavier Watts at safety a ton this yeah. week. Would love to see it, man. You him running the alley. Well, let me ask it. you this, Ryan. Would you like to yeah. see him running the alley from center field, or would you rather see him kind of in that rover spot that I was talking about where he's kind of playing the alley from a little bit tighter depth so he can kind of crash the pitch and then run with wheel routes and things like that? Yeah, that, that, yeah, I think that can work as well. I, I would say I would take the latter on that one. Like whether you're starting in two and just rotating guys down, right. or you're playing single high and then bringing that guy down right off the bat and playing him as a true rover. Yeah, I want Xavier Watts to get involved in this football game. I do because he's got that physical profile where I think he could have a really nice game running the alley. Really nice yeah. game. Yep, absolutely. Let me uh, let me go down here and, and do something here real quick so we can get to this one. We have from Corey Ruth with a super chat. Thank you, Corey. Uh, UNC BYU Cal. We ran forty times, passed twenty times. Is that goal mix? Is that kind of the goal for the mix? Drew's pass percentage is higher when he throws over twenty-two times, and the team runs over forty times. Also undefeated with that mix. I th- I think that would be ideal, Corey. I, the only thing that I would say is I don't think they. I don't think Drew struggled because they went away from that mix. I think they went away from that mix because Drew was struggling. Right. Is kind of is kind of more of, of where I would come from. Now, do I think where where I think the issue was is not so much the mix, it's so much that they went away from some of the things that I thought were working in with that mix, Ryan, which is two back music. stuff. Yes. And, yeah. Yes, yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff that I thought was really working. I think they went away from some of that kind of stuff. And and I would like to see them kind of go back to that. If they if they went back to that, then all of a sudden, you know, then you see Drew getting more comfortable because he has shorter options that he that he can go to. So I but yeah, I, I think like a 45 to 20 to 24, 25 would be a really healthy place for Notre Dame to be pass mm-hmm. game wise, especially if like five or six of those 20 to 25 throws are RPOs. Yes. Like that's the other thing is because again, you and I are the same page. If you pull and throw an out cut for eight yards off an RPO, that's a run, that's an, that's a run play basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when I look at it statistically, that's a run play because you literally yeah. called a run play and they, the way they played it, you did something else that got you six, seven, eight yards. I mean, you throw an RPO and gain five yards. It's you, you'd be happy if you ran a ball and gain five yards. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm happy when I throw an RPO and get minimum five yards. That's I- where I'm at. I just always see more creativity, Brian. So Dan Orvlosky can, you know, fangirl right. over it. So that's right. Cause you know, I mean, first of all, you're breaking down plays we broke down several days ago. So, you know, get with the program. Number two, you're getting excited about a bootleg to a running back from the backside. Like that is like 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 
you see Oklahoma do stuff way more complicated than that and, and, and creative than that. But it's like it's people going with their preconceived biases. He's a big Tommy Reese guy. And instead of admitting, like, dude hasn't done a good job this year, he makes excuse after excuse after excuse. And then when we get some – when we do get good game plans from Tommy Reese, it's like, oh, see, you were all wrong. No, we were right. <laughs> but this is why you weren't putting these videos out when he was when we were watching the Stanford game or, you know, the the, the – the cow game or the UNLV game, or, you know what I mean? Like other games where like it be white, you know, there's a reason you've been kind of quiet on this for a while because mm-hmm. we haven't been seeing this stuff. So, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that there. Uh, just, a, just a little bit. Just a little I bit. tend to like Dan a little bit. He's okay. He's fine. He's fine. You know, he just, he's he fine. gets on these things where it's like, dude, you're being like real indignant about something that you should not be that indignant about. Right. Like, you know, like if people were doubting, I don't know, Marcus Freeman as a head coach. Sure. Okay. Sure. But uh, this isn't the hill that I would ju- die, want to die on. Yeah, I agree. Tony Shea says, thanks, guys, as always. Accept those tickets, Brian. Tony, thank you for that very much. And I do appreciate the tickets. I will definitely find someone that will be very happy with those tickets. It's for the BC game. So I nice. appreciate you very much. And I have accepted them, by the way. So thank you very much for those and for the Super Chat and for being a loyal member of what we're doing here. Zach Martin asks, Ryan, will there be – do you see a rush in commitments for the remainder of 2022, meaning the 2023 class and the 2024 class, but just kind of carrying out the calendar year? Yeah. Um, I mean, so right now, Brian, we're sitting at 23 commits in the 2023 class for Notre Dame. So there are four that are left as far as the number, right? 27 is the number that we are looking at right minimum, now. Right, yeah. yeah, as of right now. So we're talking about four – the first signing day is in a few weeks from now, so you should expect a, a couple opportunities to fill in that class. So 2023, I mean, Zach is really filling up. I mean, there's not many spots left, right? Like we're talking about four guys in the span of a couple months here. So should be filling up that one. The 2024 class I think is going to be a little more interesting, Zach. Like I think that there's possibility you might fill up on a couple guys in this calendar year, but I think really moving into the winter, into the – spring that's really when you're going to get a lot more traction with a lot of the 2024 guys Notre Dame definitely hit the ball out of the park with a couple guys this past weekend where I think that things are heading in the right direction but I think that it's not going to be like a crazy crazy end to the calendar year for especially for 2024 yep I mean you're gonna see I think you're gonna see him get one one more flip mm-hmm. you're gonna see him get ideally two more skill players minimum. And then hopefully a quarterback. So, mm-hmm. and then I think you'll see uh, at least two 2024 kids commit between now and the end of the year. Thanks, so Steve. I'd consider that six a rush. Guys. You know, month, six. a little over a month and a half, six guys. I'd say that's a rush. I'd count that okay. as a rush. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, not, you might remember we did a commitment yeah. show five day, five and six right. days. Like that's uh, sure. that was a little oh, yeah. rushy. But. <laughs> but I mean, it's still the same number, right? It's sure. just spread out over a little period of time. That's fair. So, yeah, I mean, for, for, for I guess what for the spots they have open. Yeah. Right. Because look, if they had, if they had seven spots open, I think we'd see them get seven more kids. Right. I mean, you know, so it's, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're in a, in a spot and, and along those same lines too. Uh, well, we'll have, we'll get to that question next. We do have a super chat from Connor Grant. Connor, thank you very, very much. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a hypothetical game, our offense versus our defense, who has the advantage? Uh, the defense. Yes. Like, clearly. <laughs> Yes. Now I'll yeah. say this: If the offense was better quarterback, then it's I would probably give the edge to the offense because in things you've seen and film I've seen, 
and different things we have seen about this team, the offensive line has won a lot of the battles against the defensive line. I think that the defense doesn't have anybody that can cover Michael Mayer and the Notre Dame running backs that they would face, in my opinion, would be the best group of running backs they've faced all year with the way they're playing now. And with all, I say that with all due respect to Ohio state, but you can't just ignore it. And I think the Notre Dame receivers can have some success against the, the, the secondary, although the secondary would, would do a good job against them. Yeah. But the quarterback is just the, the, the sort of the new, the great equalizer and the thing that puts the defense over the edge right now, just the better balance on defense, especially mm-hmm. the way the linebackers are playing like mm-hmm. three weeks ago. Like if you'd have looked to ask me this question after the Carolina BYU game, I'd have said the offense because the O-line was playing better. And I'm mm-hmm. like, those running backs with how they're being used in the pass game against those linebackers, give me that all day. <laughs> I don't need to complete a pass on the, on the receivers. I'm going to complete passes on the linebackers and safeties all day. Right. Sure. But with the linebackers playing so much better in the last three weeks, Ryan, it's very clear, clear. And at the time, the quarterbacks were playing better. So we've seen a complete reverse. The quarterback has regressed, and the linebacker plays got a lot better. That's fair. Any, agree, disagree, Ryan? Anything to uh, – I, I mean, this was a no-brainer for me when I saw the question. I'm like, it's defense right now. I do think that there's some interesting matchups, kind of like what you were referring to, right, Brian? It's like I would love to see Isaiah Foskey work against – Joe Walt and Blake Fisher and those dudes and, yeah. you know, seeing the secondary with how they're playing against a Michael Mayer working the seams and doing different things like that. Like those are fun matchups, but I mean, yeah. I think for the tipping point for me, like you said, is that the defense has just been a much more well-balanced unit, right? Like mm-hmm. you, there's been a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing for the offense for the most part this season, not as much for, for the defense. Like it's been a pretty consistent unit for the most part. We have a question, and I'm going to take it as a genuine question. Super chat from Michael S. Why do I think Navy will be Stanford, uh, basically a redux? Michael, I love you, man, but the reason you think that is because you tend to look at everything through a negative lens. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I have a buddy like that. I have a friend from New York that's like that. He just kind of always assumes the worst and hopes for the best. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael's got a little bit of that. And again, that's that's not meant to be disrespectful, but let's be honest. I mean, almost every super chat you give is some kind of criticism, some kind of negative. Even when you try to be positive, it sounds negative, you know? And um, I mean, it is what it is. We accept you. We love you. And we're glad you're part of our community. But that's a fact, Michael. I mean, you do tend to look at the negative in this forum. You may not be that way in life. You may be the most happy-go-lucky person in the world, in your in, in the real world, so to speak. But in this forum, you just tend to be pretty negative about stuff. So that's why I think you think that. Could it be? Sure. I mean, again, we have to see. Because, again, this is the first time they've played a bad team since UNLV, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they didn't play great there. But they were better. If they had played against Stanford like they did against UNLV, they'd have beat Stanford by at least 10 points. Okay. And they didn't play great against UNLV. They just were awful against Stanford. Awful. I don't think they'll be that way. And here's the other thing, too, Ryan. The thing we said about Stanford going in the game is Stanford had some NFL dudes. They just weren't playing like NFL dudes. Well, in that game, Tanner McKee played like the guy that people were projecting as a top 10 NFL draft pick before the season. And they did a good job of getting some of those skilled players the ball. And and on top Mm -hmm. of Notre playing bad, you lost. Navy doesn't have that. Agreed. You know, they don't have that. And so I think that would be another reason too. But we still love you, Michael. Don't, Don't sweat that part of it. All right. Next question from Shamrocker. Why does Drew? Uh, what does Drew need to do to cut down on the deflections? Two things, Ryan. One we talked about. 
get more yeah. depth in the pocket. Number two, stop freaking staring down wide receivers. Like the play <laughs> where Trenton Simpson broke up the pass, like Drew is just like staring and then throws wide receiver staring. It's not hard. I, you could be 6'5", and it's easier to break those passes up when a guy just waits and waits and stares, and then you're right in front of him. It's not hard mm-hmm. to break that up. I don't care how tall you are. Yep. So get more depth in your drop and stop freaking staring down receivers when you throw the football. That would help. That's it. Covered it perfectly. Yeah. It's, I mean, if I know where the football is going, I can time myself better, right? I know where to place my hands. It's, it's just very basic stuff. Like, and the, when you're late for the football, I'm a lot closer to you. 100%. And look, when I'm, when I'm from here to my wall behind a defensive line, I'm telling you people, I'm, I'm a 6'4 quarterback who played behind 6'4, 6'5 guys in my high school and in college. Okay, you're, six, you're a six foot quarterback, not 6'4 quarterback. Six foot quarterback. That's what there I you said. go. Okay. And I'm just telling you, when I'm dropped back in the shotgun, I would get I was a shotgun guy in college. I would get the shotgun, I'd take three-step drop, and I could see over them fine. When I waited or when they got pressure and the guys are on my face, now all of a sudden I was six foot quarterback again. Right. So that's the that's why the depth is so important. And that's also why timing is important. And so why rhythm is important. Because if he's going through his rhythm and showing anticipation, what anticipation normally means I'm not necessarily looking where I'm going to throw the ball until I'm ready to throw it there. Because I've gone through my progression. I see the corners up. And I'm not looking to the – I see that the cornerbacks come up on a smash route, Ryan. I'm not necessarily looking at the safety in the because I know what's going to be there and I know where the open zone is going to be. So I'm not really looking – I'm going to throw until I'm here. I'm starting to cock back and I'm getting ready to throw the football. What's well, a lot easier for me to be here and then go to here or for me to be here and then quickly come back to here because I know my in-cut's coming open because I see that Mike linebacker flying, buzzing across my face, so I know it's coming backside. I'm anticipating it, bam, hit it, come back to it. It's a lot harder to break those passes up. For sure. Than it is than it is for – and I don't, you know, I don't care how tall you are. Mm-hmm. So that would be my – I mean, didn't Notre Dame have a couple tipped passes against, uh, against uh, uh, Syracuse? In at least two, at least right? two. And I mean, the Howard Cross one where it was right. intercepted. Howard Cross is and... 6-1. He yes. tipped pass against Carlos uh, Del Rio Wilson, who is – six two, At least 6-2. Right. So let me see. I, I thought he was I thought he was at least 6-3. Let's see what his he, he might be 6-3. He's listed at 6'2", 232. Um, he's tall. Garrett Schrader six 6-4. And he got, a te- he got a pass tipped as well. So, you know – that happens. That happens. Mailbag. Brian and Ryan, do you think Drew Pine is underappreciated and overly criticized for a first-year starter who has one loss and led three wins over ranked teams? I hate the premise of this question. I love you, Milton yeah. fan, but I hate the premise of the question. I hate when quarterbacks automatically get said they led. Do you really believe that Drew Pine led Notre Dame to a win over Syracuse? Do you really think that? I don't. I think he I think he and all due respect to Drew, yeah. but I think he held back it being a more lopsided yes. victory. If and I honest. would argue the same thing against Clemson. He helped put the game away. But sure. when you're bragging about how a guy didn't make mistakes that got you beat against Clemson, that's not help leading you to a victory. He led them to a win over North Carolina. Yep. No doubt. He helped lead them to a win over BYU. No doubt. But he didn't lead them to wins over Syracuse and Clemson. He just didn't ruin their chances of winning. So, mm-hmm. and the one loss was a pretty bad loss. And he did play a big role in that. So, do I think he's being underappreciated to a degree? Yes, because mm-hmm. he the criticism is so harsh and yeah. so over the top that in that regard, yeah, cuz he's not costing them 
a bunch of games. He didn't cost them the Clemson game. Did what he needed to do. He did what he was asked to do, right? But they didn't win because of him. They won because of other things. And then Drew played his role. He was, you know, and and then same thing against Syracuse. Mm-hmm. He did enough to help the team win. And he and in in both games when he needed to make plays, he made them. So I think of the late throw against Clemson to put it away. There was a couple other throws that were were good throws that were helped them. But they had already started. They've already they'd already gotten a lead at that point in time. Made a really good decision on the read zone, got into the end zone for a touchdown, had a really nice scramble to set up another score. So, like, he did some things in that game. Syracuse was terrible in the first half. But you know what? They got the ball back late, 14-7. to They needed him to make a play, and he threw a beautiful pass to Michael Mayer for a big play to set up a touchdown, Mm -hmm. right? And then threw a nice ball to Jaden Thomas for a touchdown. The Jaden Thomas pass, like, dude, if you can't make that play, you should be on scholarship in Notre Dame. But the Michael Mayer pass – was huge. It's a great ball. It's right in front of us too, Ryan. And mm-hmm. Ryan looks at me and goes, why are they only covering Michael Mayer with one dude? The indignation <laughs> on his face when he saw Michael Mayer in a one-on-one was hilarious. It's less than a uh, minute left. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dumb. Uh, and the line gave him great timing. But you didn't win that game because of Drew Pine. He didn't lead you to a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I think he's being overly criticized and underappreciated? However, yes, that part I do believe because, but not because of what you said, because I think record for a quarterback is one of the most overplayed things ever. Yeah. You know, like Greg McElroy had a better record in his last year than anything Bryce Young has ever done. Mm-hmm. Right. He, Bryce Young didn't have an undefeated season. Does that mean Greg McElroy is a better quarterback than <laughs> Bryce Young? Of course not. Silly. You know, it's a, it's, the team is really good. Now, the first part, Ryan, the disrespect and the just the, the meanness that I see some people throw at Drew is like, look, we can be, yeah. it's fine to be critical of him. He deserves criticism. And honestly, if you had Drew Pine in the film room, he'd probably say, dude, yeah, yeah, you deserve to rip my play. Mm-hmm. But people, the problem I have with Twitter, especially, is mm-hmm. people can't just be critical of an opinion, they have to get personal. That's because they can right. hide behind a fake because persona. They're, and and they're, yeah. they're losers. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. what I can't stand is when people get personal about a kid. Sure. And, you know, this kid sucks. Well, okay, that's about as far as I'm willing to go with accepting it. But there's just so many things that I that I get tired of. And it's one thing to have fun. Like somebody was like, you know, Drew Pine out here doing the the the, the McGregor. McGregor with the dad bod. That's funny. You know, because Drew kind of has a dad bod. You know what I mean? Like he's not like this chiseled, you know, uh, beacon of of you know athleticism. Those are funny. Speaking but, speaking as a guy with a dad bod, yeah. it's there's no issue with having a dad bod, yeah. man. No issues. Some of it crosses the line in a big way, and 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 he deserves. Yes. He gets way too much. I mean, and this has always been true. It's just Twitter mm-hmm. has given people a much easier platform to voice that ignorance. Mm-hmm. Because there's That's no back, there's no backlash. Right. It's like what, what's the what's the right. penalty? You get right. your Twitter taken away? Like oh no, right. <laughs> you know it's not like you're getting taken to jail or something right. heinous like that. You know so. That's why I tell every, I would tell every college football player, dude, put your Twitter on private. Yes, like, just yes. don't read your mentions. Put your Twitter on private so people can't mm-hmm. tweet at you. Like yeah. just like I used to get bothered by it. It's not just like oh idiot block 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 block. You're not gonna <laughs> ruin my day. You know what I mean? You're just showing your ignorance. So it's sad, but do I think he's being underappreciated and overly criticized? Yes. To a degree. I do believe that to be the case. Milton fan also asked, uh, Brian, you said the last two weeks game plan uh, was good. Are you speaking relatively Syracuse? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Clemson, no. I don't care what Tommy Reese did the first eight games. If the only game you watched all year of Notre Dame was the Clemson game, you'd be like, yo, that coordinator put together a heck of a game plan to be able to have that kind of success, mixing up his run looks, you know, creating extra spaces on the edge to protect, you know, using different guys to wrap around to protect on duo, those kind of things. Like, I thought that was one of the better games Tom Reese has called, especially with the mm-hmm. limitations in the past game. Yeah. So that game, Ryan, to me, not relatively. The Syracuse game was relative to what we've seen before. The Syracuse game plan was good. Is that I, fair? No, it, it's very fair because – Brian, I mean, I, I think I talk, said this to you like yesterday, maybe just on the phone, but I am still dumbfounded that Notre Dame ran for over 260 yards and had less than 90 yards passing last game against yeah. a good defense, man, like a really good defense. I mean, you want to talk about overcompensating in er- areas? Notre Dame should not have been able to run the ball as well as they did last game with that lack of passing attack. So you have to give some credit to Tommy Reese, right? Like he had a process working that was – Hey, it was one note as far as an offensive game plan, but that's all you had all day. I mean, that's just is what it is. So, I mean, you have to give them some credit for that one because I still, I still can't fathom how they ran for 260 plus yards in that game. Like it just, it doesn't make any logical sense, but it happens. And it makes sense when you break it down, like to what you just said, Ryan, I agree with you. Like every statistical thing. And, and if I'd have told you this before the game, like, again, I, like I said earlier, if I'd have told you before the game, Drew Pine's going to throw for 85 yards and Notre Dame is going to win by 21 and they're going to run for 260 yards and their longest run is going to be 20 yards. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, Oh, here we go. Homer, the Homer's back, you know, (laughs) like uh, that's, and you'd have been right. You'd have been absolutely right to say that. But that's exactly what happened, and there was yep. nothing. But again, schematically, and and they they put together a like Clemson just couldn't get a read because what did they do? We broke it down. They mixed up inside zone and duo, which mm-hmm. made it harder for Clemson to key on where the back was going to cut. Duo breaks one way, inside zone breaks another way. You're running the same track on against the same alignment, but duo you're cutting to one side, and on inside zone you're cutting to the other side. It's a lot harder to fly downhill against that, Ryan. And a couple times Clemson guessed wrong and Notre Dame bounced duo out the back, right? Or out the front side. Other times Chris Tyree, they bounced, or, or, or Audrey Estime both had really nice cutbacks on inside zone. Mixed that up really well. Ran a couple outside plays. Got Chris Tyree the ball in the perimeter. Did some interesting stuff on a couple series out of 21 personnel. Like they really did a nice job schematically in that game. Yes, they ran a crap load of 12 personnel, but they did such a good job of mixing up the motions and shifts and different things like that, not doing scan. That you look and say, hey, that was really well done. Was. Really well done. Yep. But we just haven't seen enough of that. That's why, yep. you know, you, you want to see more of that. The Syracuse game was more of, well, it wasn't great, but it was certainly better than the heap of garbage we've seen the first, the, the previous, <laughs> however many games, right? Since the North Carolina game. So hopefully that was the beginning of Coach Reese really figuring this team out and saying, this is what we're going to do, and then hopefully enhancing it. Because mm-hmm. that's the one thing you can't do is you have this great game, say, okay, that's what we're going to do every game, and we're going to regurgitate that again against USC. Well, that's not going to go as well. No. Because USC is not as good as Clemson, but they're going to have the film on it that Clemson didn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you got to keep mixing stuff up. Got to keep mixing stuff up. We do have a couple more Super Chats here. We have one, a couple from Michael S. Uh, Navy versus Notre, N- N- Notre Dame versus Navy is like slow Chinese uh, water torture. Um 
I would suggest that maybe you've never actually experienced Notre Dame or Chinese slow Chinese water torture because I you know here that's not fun, uh, but uh, it's not it's not a pleasant game. No, watching Navy is not fun. It's it's really no. not to me. It unless, was when Keenan Reynolds was there. Unless you're a football purist, yeah, and you love it. Just kidding. No, you don't <laughs> because they're not good. That's what yes. I just said. Like when Keenan Reynolds was there, it was a it no. was a it was a I mean masterful. I mean, mm-hmm. it, Ricky Dobbs, and I mean, it was it was. I, I hate the triple option, but it was fun to watch them because you can you. It's like this. I've said this. I hate heavy metal. I can't stand it, mm-hmm. but I can also respect the talent that Metallica has. Sure. Even though I don't want to listen to their music, like you know, those guys are talented musicians, and I get why people who like that kind of thing think they're so great. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not something I'm going to listen to, but there's a song I'm like, yeah, okay, I can rock to this for uh, five minutes, and then okay, I'm ready. I'm, I've had my fill. Right. Just like country music. Like I can I can not like country music and still appreciate how great of a performer that Garth Brooks is. Or mm-hmm. like I don't like listening to country music, but I love going to country music concerts because it's a great, fun environment. You know what I mean? Same thing with triple option. I hate it. I would never run it. But when it's done correctly, it's a really beautiful thing to watch because of just how it all has to flow together. It's like watching it's like watching Jason. It's like watching Keenan Reynolds to me. Was like watching Jason Williams with the Kings, Sacramento Kings. Ah, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. that was like, man, that's just like they may not be the. That's not the offense I would run, but man, that was <laughs> fun to watch. Like that was masterful because you never knew where the ball was gonna go and yeah. you know which direction it was. Oh, they're going that way. Like oh, the fullback has the ball now. Like it was <laughs> it was done right because you had talent and you had you know you had a quarterback that was just a maestro and Ricky Dobbs is that way too. But what they've had really since will worth has just been kind of like uh, you know no no thanks <laughs> no thanks all right next next super chat we have down here from connor grant says he is notre dame versus bama bowl game possible how would we do uh, to ryan i don't i don't know enough about the bowl matchups right now i've really studied the bowl mm-hmm. matchups the way vince and others have so i couldn't really tell you if that's an option or not i would imagine I'm- so I've seen Notre sure. Dame in bowl mat. I've seen bowl projections for Notre Dame against SEC teams. So my guess is the people that are doing those bowl projections are taking some semblance of who might be in that game, you right. know, through uh, you know conference affiliations to say that it's possible that mm-hmm. it could happen. But I don't know specifically what bowl games or where or whatever. Uh, how would we do? I mean, Ryan, my I thing think is it's ask, an interesting matchup. Ask though. me in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. my thing. Ask me in three weeks because here's one thing I'm pretty sure of. You're pretty sure you're not facing Bryce Young in that game. I would, I'm I would assume. Pretty so. sure you're not going to be blocking Will Anderson in that game. You know, uh, and I'm, but I'm also pretty sure that Notre Dame's not going to be throwing to Michael Mayer in that game. You know, what I mean, so I don't, I don't. It just there's so much to know who's going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, but if Notre Dame builds on what they did against Clemson, uh, honestly, Ryan, there's only one team in the country I don't want to play in the postseason. That's it. That's Georgia. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia is the worst matchup for Notre Dame. Yeah. But other just schematically and all that. But other than that, I'm not afraid of – I'm not – if Notre Dame played Ohio State now, the way they're playing right now, I, I, I'll take that matchup. Yeah. I'll take – let them play Michigan. I'll take that. I'll take mm-hmm. that. Tennessee would probably be the second least favorite matchup for me. It's an interesting Because they're, 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 they're going to score. I mean, because mm-hmm. Notre Dame's good on defense, they're not Georgia good on defense. Not, not, and sure. that was a. I mean, Georgia also played out of their minds a little bit that day too. They did. And Tennessee had an off day, but those are the two matchups I'd least like to see. I'm not afraid of Bama this year. 
no. I, I'm really not. And, and I've like Jason Rose says this. Hey guys, I think Bam is going to be fine for the future. They've lost two games this year by a combined four points. They're a missed extra point and stopped two point conversion from being unbeaten. Thoughts from y'all. I could make the counter argument that they're a missed play at the end of the Arkansas. I mean, the missed play at the end of A and M game, and a and Quinn Ewers not getting hurt from being eight and four or from being uh, what they play five and four. Four loss, yeah. Like, I mean, I thought LSU for the most part outplayed them. You know, Bama just has yeah. better players there to make some crazy. I mean, some of the plays Bryce Young made, you're like, dude, that's just stupid. Yeah, but I thought really LSU outcoached and outplayed them that game flat out. Uh, you know, I thought that uh, they caught some breaks being in the game with Tennessee. I mean, yeah, they had a chance to win it at the end, sure, but Tennessee also had chances to put Bama away, and they were up big early on and let Bama mm-hmm. kind of get back in the game. There, the 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 two pass interference penalties that let Bama get that late touchdown. Do you remember that play? They were terrible yep. calls, terrible sure. calls. One was on fourth down. Mm-hmm. So I would say Ryan, they're closer to being five and four than they are to nine and zero. Oh. When you look at the makeup of their games, I thought they got outplayed yeah. by Texas. I thought that I got outplayed by Texas A&M. I thought they got outplayed by Tennessee and I thought they got outplayed by LSU, but their talent is so good that they were able to stay in those games mm-hmm. and win a couple of them. So I don't I, think I, they're fine. I, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for Alabama to see what they do at the coordinator spots. Yep. Right. Like I think that's the big crux of them right now. I mean, is Nick Saban less of a good coach? I mean, he's not the issue, right? It's that, Pete Golding has not been very good as a defensive coordinator in the biggest moments. And Bill O'Brien just has been a very inconsistent coordinator, right? Like he's winning because he has so much talent. Like you just mentioned Bryce Young. The best offense that Alabama plays right now is Bryce Young playing hero ball, right? Like that's not sustainable. It's not because next year you're not going to have – yeah, and, yeah. and going forward, you're not going to have Bryce Young, right? Like you're going to have to figure things out next year. Are you going to have enough talented quarterback back there? Sure. You're Alabama. You recruit at the highest level, like for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to figure some things out. So I think the coordinator spots for Alabama is going to be really interesting this offseason because Alabama's losing some dudes now. Grace uh, yeah. Young, Will Anderson, like those kids are going to go top three in the draft most likely. They are some dudes. And Alabama has reloaded in the past. But, I mean, I look at certain spots, Brian, it's like wide receiver. This is the worst wide receiver group that Alabama's had I since – what year? I don't know. I, I can't tell you a year. Uh, it's there was a bad. there was a stretch, kind of Julio Jones freshman year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They weren't that good, you know. Yet Julio, who was great, but like, I mean, here's my thing though, Ryan. I, I agree yeah. with that, but I think yeah. the receivers are catching too much flack for a crap coordinator. I mean, look, I, this is the worst I, receiving core they've had in a long time. There's yeah. about 120 teams in college football that would love to have Alabama's receiver problem. Right. I mean, that's a fact. I mean, you spent the whole offseason convincing me how good Jermaine Burton was. Right. And there's some good talent there. It's not close to what it's been. You mm-hmm. put Steve Sarkeesian in charge of this offense or Lane Kiffin in charge of this offense. And it's better, especially with Bryce Young. That's kind of my thing is like, is it a great receiving court? No. But the fact that they need the elite receiving course to be good says more about the, the offensive coordinator than it does the receiving talent. That would be my point to this, right? We're talking about relative to what Alabama's done, 100% right. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of teams in college football. I mean, we're not talking about Ohio State, right? They, they wouldn't want Alabama's problem. I think Tennessee, when healthy, is better at that position. They're a lot older, but they're better at that position. Sure. You know, it, it's just that there's – but there's a lot of teams that, I mean, 
there's there's we haven't seen a lot of teams this year that, that have better receiving cores. I think you know maybe when North Carolina's guys are healthy, they're pretty darn good, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think North Carolina trades with them, but there's a lot of teams that would love to have Alabama's receiver problem. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, there's no, there's no, I think one thing that we can 100% agree on is that the coordinators are the biggest issue yes, with Alabama right exactly. now. No doubt about that. Exactly. No doubt about that. Because the point is, Ryan, they don't, to, to your point, the talent level isn't that they could score 40 plus points a game. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, okay, uh, their talent is fine for them. If Steve Sarkeesian was here, they'd be scoring 48 points a game like they did a couple of years ago. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, however, is that it's good enough to where if they were being coached effectively, they'd be good enough to win all their games. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. And Ryan, uh, you, got, you got dropped out of there. What I said was, I'm not saying the receiving talent is good enough that if Sark was here, they're scoring 48 points a game. Right. Like they did a couple of years ago. My point mm-hmm. is that they're 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 good enough there to beat everybody they would play if everything was being co- – if Kirby Smart was the D coordinator, mm-hmm. then they'd be undefeated. I agree. If Bill O'Brien was here and they had right it, with Kirby Smart, they'd be undefeated. If Pete Golding was here and they had Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, I think they'd be undefeated. The problem Bama has is they're both here at the same time. <laughs> True. And we saw that last year too, right? We saw Bill O'Brien lay an egg against against uh, Auburn. But what saved him? Th- to your point, what saved him? He had dudes that he could just get the ball to, and they were able to rescue him: a quarterback, a receiver, running back, right? Well, he doesn't have that those guys to bail him out this year the way he had last year. Mm-hmm. We saw it in the second half of the Georgia game when he didn't have Jamison or John Mechie. I mean, you're talking about former top 100 recruits that he can't turn into good players. Yeah. You know, like that's a coaching problem, not a not a player problem relative to don't, don't disagree. losing to LSU and, and losing to, to those teams. That's my point. But would they be the explosive offense they were Night, you know, 20 and 18. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm yeah. not saying that at all. Golding is an even bigger problem to me than than, than Kiffin because you can point to their talent level is not as good on offense as it's been. Mm-hmm. Like, no, not a, not close offensive yeah. line wise, running back wise. I, mean, I like Jameer Gibbs. He's a nice change of pace back. I've never bought into him being the dude the way that N- Najee was or some other guys were. Uh, and and even he's not being – you'd think he'd be perfect for Bill O'Brien, and he's not even using him correctly week to week. Some weeks he does, some weeks he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the receiver, all of it, none of it's as good as it's been other than quarterback. Defensively, however, they've got dudes running around that are being flat-wasted 
by Pete mm-hmm. Golding. And we yeah. talked about that this offseason. This is exactly why I predicted in the offseason Bama would lose two regular season games. And now I'm thinking they might lose three. I might have undersold it. Because if they play the way they did in half their games this year, Ole Miss beats them. But, of course, they could play like they did against Mississippi State or the second half mm-hmm. against Arkansas and you know, blow them out, right? Sure. I mean, we still see that version of Bama a couple times this year. But mm-hmm. if they play against Ole Miss the way they played against Texas, they'll lose by 10 points. Mm-hmm. They do like they did against uh, uh, Texas A&M, uh, LSU. They'll lose, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, he's got to make changes. And I'll say Nick Saban's still a great coach, mm-hmm. but I wonder if as he's gotten older, if he's been less – willing to make some of those changes. Like he moved off. Remember when he hired Tosh Lapua for like as the D coordinator. Remember that? Yeah. And how quickly did he move on from that? Like, did he even finish the seat? Like he was still the defensive coordinator by the end of the year, but he mm-hmm. wasn't the defensive coordinator. <laughs> the end of the year, like Saban was running. It was, that defense. It, it was only a title at that point. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I just don't think he is that guy right now. Like now we'll see if it changes in the off season, but his coaching staff is not good at the top. I actually like some of the assistants. I like Holman Wiggins. Uh, I like the, you know, I like the offensive line coach from Kentucky. I know we got to get rolling here uh, real quick, Ryan. We'll keep working through these uh, as quickly as we can. Cause Ryan's got, uh, Ryan's got to get going here. Uh, Michael S says first offensive play long shot to Lindsay. I would like to see that. I would definitely like uh, to see that. I, this is a game where I, I think when you force the first play long shot, sometimes it's a little, like, yeah. chill out, man. Work it yeah. in type of thing. But this I would is a be game okay that I would. It. Yeah, oh, exactly. this game And this exactly. game for sure. Yep. Exactly. You're sending a, a message, even if it's incomplete. You're sending a message take, like, take take the football, line up in heavy personnel, and then run some play action off of it. And ooh. Could you imagine if they went 13 on the first play, motion Lindsay on a short short play action, ran like a play action away, and he yeah. just ran, and then Drew just launches it and he goes for 70? You're like, Navy's got to be like, seriously? Seriously, now what do we do? I would love I would love to see it for Brayden Lindsay too, because he's just missed out on so many opportunities this year that haven't always been his fault. And it's been that's frustrating. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Uh next we have a super chat here. Connor Grant. Uh, Ryan, I'll let you answer this one uh first. Okay. Uh mm-hmm. thank you for the super chat, Connor. 24-7 says we have the number three recruiting class. Would you say that's accurate? If so, I'm excited for the Freeman era. I, I do think it's accurate. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the class, Connor, because a lot of people have been talking about, hey, you know, you you lost Keon Keeley in this class. You got the commitment from Elijah Page, the Dante Moore saga. Like, there's some things that haven't been perfect for sure. But when you look at the ability for an entire class to really close a gap, that's kind of what we always talk about, right? Outside of the quarterback position, you've done a really good job in this class. So for me – structure of of what a class should be in order to be successful i think you've done very well you've gotten a lot of players that i would argue that could play early for notre dame and not based upon holes in the roster based upon talent level right like no matter what safeties you have coming back for notre dame peyton bowen is going to be such a good football player that he's going to fight to get playing time early in my opinion right have those types of dudes so i would say it's very accurate i think that notre dame has done a good job in most areas is it perfect across the board it's not but i mean talent wise it's a really good class the problem that i have with some some people who notre dame fans who are downplaying this class is they're focusing too much on what was lost now that's keeping them from being number one but when you look at what they have to ryan's point they have an elite safety they have one of the two or three best offensive line classes in the country that's even better now than it was because Ryan, 
we've evaluated the film. They have arguably the best receiving core in the country, in my opinion. They have one of the four or five best running back classes in the country. They have a very good tight end. They have one of the four or five best linebacker classes in the country. They have one of the four or five best cornerback classes in the country. They have one of the four or five best safety classes in the country. Now, you may say, hey, look, okay, you keep saying four or five. There are teams that don't have that across the board. You know, that there's teams that have better receiver classes, or, or actually, no, nobody does. There are teams that have maybe better O-line classes or maybe better D-line classes or maybe better linebacker, but nobody has all of them. The, the not having Keon and not having a quarterback is what's keeping them from number one. If they had Dante and Keon, they'd be number one. But you don't go from number one with them to number 12 without them. This is still an elite class with game breakers in every facet and really good line play. And, you know, yeah. I mean, you're strong everywhere. You're just, you're missing a quarterback right now. That's the really the only thing that they're missing per se right now. They want to add more guys, but the only thing you're missing is a quarterback. You and got, that's, that's a big loss. You got longer, faster, more explosive and playmakers at a lot of different positions in this, in this, in yeah. this class, man, you have, I mean, We've talked about it all the time, Brian, but this amount of speed that is in the 2023 class cannot be talked about enough, man. It is Notre Dame is about to get faster and significantly faster in a lot of spots on the roster. They are. Christian Gray is not one of the five fastest kids in this class, in my opinion. There have been several years in the last decade where he would be the fastest kid in the class or at worst second or third. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you are uh, you are really moving here. We'll just kind of roll through a couple of these. Quinn Kibler says, here's an interesting one, Ryan. Uh, who mm-hmm. was the best triple option defender out of Drew Tranquil, Greer Martini, or Drew White? I'm going Greer, Drew Tranquil, and Drew White in that order. I'd probably agree with that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm man. Prone. Drew Greer Martini was just so good against triple option. Drew was really good, too. Though. Was. I drew Tranquil. But, drew Tranquil but, but was drew, so good. The reason I'm not going with him is Drew got knocked out of the 2018 game, so he didn't, didn't mm-hmm. face it as much. Yeah. Because remember, Drew White's first playing time at Notre Dame really was coming off the bench against Navy in 2018, filling in for Drew Tranquil. What was it? Was Joe Schmidt also a good Navy guy early? No, got, I can't he got remember. Hurt. In uh, 14, he got hurt against Navy. Yeah. That was Greer, the game he got hurt in. Greer Martino was very good there. Yeah. Greer Martini was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Tyler yeah. Reese also said uh, Alohi Gilman. He was also very good against the Triple <laughs> he, he definitely knew it. So, yeah. <laughs> And we would go back to the year that Harrison Smith had like 20 tackles against Air Force. <laughs> Or the you know who had a crazy him and Duke way had like twenty two oh, tackles against <laughs> Duke. That's the one I was gonna say. Duke way, man. I remember those twenty something tackles. I'm like, man. He's just going downhill, making plays, running the alley like a yeah. bat out of hell. Oh yeah. man. Yep. Oh boy. Nick P says if if we can, it, I will continue to say this. If Tyler Buckner were playing behind this offensive line, he would still he would still be healthy. We would have we wouldn't have lost to Stanford, and he'd be in the Heisman conversation. I can I cannot necessarily agree with one and three. I don't know if he'd still yeah. be healthy. Yeah. You can't really blame that on the offensive line. He got injured getting tackled ten yards down the field. He didn't get injured getting mm-hmm. sacked because the offensive right. line wasn't playing well. He got right. injured on a designed I think it was a designed run. Uh, where he ran outside and got tackled downfield and somebody landed on him. That's not on the offensive yeah. line. He would yeah. not be in the Heisman co- Trophy conversation at all. No. But I do think they would have beat Stanford, no doubt. Agree with that one. No doubt. Because mm-hmm. you put him behind this line, like they'd be looking really good. Yes. They'd be looking really good. There's no question. My question would be is, would you have beat North Carolina? Would he have been able to rip them up throwing the football the way that Drew did? I don't know the answer to that because the way I mean how he threw the ball the first two games was just was was that had been a pretty big jump from what he was against Marshall to two weeks to you know what Drew yeah. was against North Carolina. Sure. 
All right, next question. Let's get down here to a couple more I want to get to. Uh, picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Okay, it's a little strange, but you do you, you buddy. Uh, if they sign 27 recruits plus transfer quarterback, maybe Keon, that's 28 to 29. How can they work the roster to 85? It doesn't appear that many are graduating. Looks like Joseph might be back too. Uh, they're losing a decent amount to graduation. Mm-hmm. You also, because you have to remember nowadays, graduation starts as juniors. Yes. There's guys going to be graduating in three years that are, that are buried in the depth chart. They're going to be looking for places to go. They're going to mm-hmm. have some kids declare early for the NFL draft. Like Michael Mayer doesn't graduate. He'll be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not losing a lot of starters, but you are going to lose a lot of backups that just aren't going to be brought back for fifth years. Yes. Um, but uh, And you're going to have some kids that, wanna, that are buried in the depth chart. I mean, look, a lot of kids didn't leave this past year because they wanted to play for Coach Freeman. And, mm-hmm. and they love Coach Freeman. They do. But at some point in time, like, okay, I was on the, his first team, but, you know, now I also want to play. I love right. Coach, but I want to play, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to see that as well. And then if they get transfers, you're going to see that impact guys at those positions. I think they're going to look for a D-line transfer. I think they're going to look for a receiver transfer. I think they're going to look for a quarterback transfer. And if you get those guys, you're probably going to just replace somebody that's currently on the roster, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, Ryan, I don't think taking 27, 28 in this class plus three, four grad transfer or transfers is going to – be hard to get down to 85. I don't think it's I don't, going to be hard I don't think he's so either. I think there's it's not going to be a mass exodus, but there's going to be some guys off this roster. Like let's call it what it is. There's and for for better or for worse in some right. situations. So. Yep, absolutely. Connor Grant says no idea why Drew Pine was the offensive player of the game. I thought that was brilliant by Coach Freeman. Again, you're playing a mind game. What did we say the other day, Ryan? Head mm-hmm. coach has to be part psychiatrist. True. That's exactly why Drew Pine got. Do you think? Do you really think, Mike, that Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese are sitting in the office saying, "You know what? Drew Pine was the reason we won this game." N- nobody thinks that, right? <laughs> but you know what they did? We need to give Drew this win. Yes. We need to give him this boost. We need mm-hmm. to tell him, "Hey, buddy, what you did—not turning the ball over, making those plays when you needed to, taking those hits, doing those type of things, being that warrior that you were—boy, we need that. It's to build his confidence up." Because if you right. get Drew playing, if Drew Pine pl- starts playing confident football again and looks anything like the kid we saw against BYU North Carolina, I'll mm-hmm. play anybody, including Georgia. Right. I'm telling, I'm serious. The way that this line is playing, the talent that I know this team has, the way the defense is playing, I'll take now. Will Georgia, would I pick probably Georgia to win? Probably, but I'm not afraid of that matchup. Right mm-hmm. now, I have want no part of that smoke because of the quarterback situation. But you yep. give me the North Carolina quarterback version of Drew Pine with what we're seeing now from this football team and, you know, anybody bring it on, bring Bring it on. There's no doubt. All right. Last couple here. Uh, Let's get down here to a couple more. Uh, Archer four, five, two Would more of the Notre Dame guys play in a bowl game against Bama instead of one against Minnesota or Utah. Some of the current bowl projects. I think so. I think like you talked about this, no matter who Notre Dame plays, you think Michael Mayer is going to have to get talked out of playing. Yeah, I agree. I I, I agree. I yeah. don't see how you talk him out of not playing against Alabama. I don't. Or LSU. I, I those are the two matchups that I could be like, yep, I I, mm, I could see him playing. Especially with that. I mean, there was that Alabama tampering stuff with Michael Mayer in the offseason too, yep. right? Like I think he would yep. want to kind of show out and in that one. We, we yeah. know about we know about LSU. Yeah. Yes. 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 So uh, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. I really want to thank everybody. Did we miss any super chats there at the end, Ryan? I think we got them all. Yep. I Connor think we got it all. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hey, y'all. I want to thank you all so much for being part of our show today. Again, hit that like button on your way out of here. Ryan, can we get that one? Uh, uh, let's see here. Brian calling me out. I'm not calling you out, homie. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. Uh, we're good, man. 
Uh, but uh, thank you, everybody, for being with us. Hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Give CFB Nation a follow. So that way you can get our great CFB All-America show, which comes out three days a week. You can get our state of recruiting with John Garcia Jr. And, of course, you're going to now get the Lucky Lefty podcast. So there's so many reasons, and we're going to keep adding more. I've had some conversations with people to cover other teams. I know some of you like to listen to what other teams have to say. We're always looking for podcasts and different hosts to kind of come talk about other teams as well. You're going to start seeing us have more crossover podcasts on there, also on there too. So uh, definitely, definitely make sure that you subscribe to the CFB Nation podcast. If you're a YouTube listener and you have not subscribed to Lucky Lefty Podcast, go subscribe to them now. We want to help push them over 3,000 and help them continue to grow that platform as well. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. You all have a great rest of your day. I'll see some of you in about an hour and a half when we break down the Navy triple option here with Jesse Styers and uh, the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow when we do our predictions for Notre Dame versus Navy. And we'll talk about some of the other big games this weekend, Ryan, because it's not quite as much as last week, but there's still some really good football games being played this weekend. So have a great night, everybody. And we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish breakdown podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.